Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. It's an honor to be here. I don't know if you realize this or not, but I think you have some incredible pastors and Chris and Andy. Can you get up for them? Come on. They're incredible pastors. And I know that, as he said, we've just met a couple days ago, but I'll tell you what I see God doing in this house is rare. You need to understand that. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. I want to introduce you to my family, and then we're going to kind of get into some things. I'm going to actually take some moments later on to explain how rare you are and what I think is cool about what God is doing here. So uh, I was born and raised in western South Dakota. If you don't know where South Dakota is, it's basically southern Canada, okay? So it's way, way up north, all right? So, uh, but my wife and I, we pastored a church in South Dakota. There are more cattle than there are people there. Uh, but we took this church and uh, uh, we revitalized it and went through a growth process and God did some cool stuff, which I'll get to in a minute. But let me introduce you to my family. I want you to check them out. I got a picture here of them. I want you to see them. So this is my wife, uh, Melanie. We've been married 21 years. I mean, she is definitely my better half. Don't get too excited. It's all right. Calm down. I know it's early service. Uh, then my son, Eli, uh, uh, he's the taller one there. He he has drank the Kool-Aid. He is uh, start school this fall. He's going to go be a pastor and a church planter. Uh, so we're excited about that. And then our daughter, Hannah, uh, she's the life of the party. She's uh, just about turned 13, and uh, she is so much fun. She's a blast. She's a great part of our family. But our family answered this call to step into a church in South Dakota. Uh, and matter of fact, it was the same town that I was born and raised in. And we take this church, and we're pastoring this church, and At the time when we became the pastors, there was nobody under the age of 65. And uh, so it was great. My kids had grandparents everywhere. It was amazing. We loved it. It was so much fun. But God did this great work in our church, and we began to grow. And as we began to grow over a couple years, God began to put this idea on our heart that maybe, just maybe, uh, in the small towns that were around us, we could make a difference because there wasn't a church. And we thought, well, what if we could help put a church in that town that's down the road? And we were praying about it. I talked to my board about it, all this stuff. But as I talked to them about it and I prayed about it, in prayer, I kept hearing this phrase, seven by 70. I thought I had, if you've read the Bible very much, I thought I had some forgiveness issues, you know, like 70 times seven, I'm supposed to forgive somebody, something like that. But then I realized our church was 67 years old, almost about to turn 68 years old. And God was challenging us to plant seven churches by the time we turned 70. I thought that I ate some really bad pizza. And I'm surely not hearing from God in prayer. So I talked to my wife, who's the realist. And I'm like, hey, honey, uh, what do you think about this? And she said, I think that could be God. And it was at that moment I knew we were in trouble. I ignored this because I thought this was crazy town. There's no way that we could plant seven churches in two years. There's no way. So I'm ignoring it, and I'm walking through the lobby of our church, kind of like the lobby that you've got out there. I'm walking through it, and one of my elders comes up and says, Pastor, I'm so excited about the future of our church. I've been praying for those future churches we've talked about once in a while. I said, me too. And I start to walk away, and he says, God told you seven, didn't he? And I never told him anything. The only person I ever talked to was my wife. And it was at that moment that I knew that God was confirming that we had to get the guts to stand up in our church and say, what if, church, we could do something different? 
So, two years later, seven campuses were born. By the grace of God, we did it, and it was, it was an absolute miracle. Absolute miracle. Well, one of the things that I discovered along the journey is that uh, the miracle was in the house. And what I mean by that is that I had no idea who the pastors were going to be to pastor those locations. I had no idea where the money was going to come to start a church. I had no idea where any of this was going to come from. But what I realized was is the miracle was in every man and woman and kid that was in our church that called our church home. They were as called to it as much as I was. And we said yes together as a family, and we said yes together as a church, and the rest was just a crazy adventure. Now, also in the middle of all this, I believe in being involved in the community. So if you couldn't tell by my mustache, I was also a sheriff's deputy. So I could arrest you and then I could pray for you. But that's, it was just, it was, it was such an incredible time. And so just a couple months ago, we just moved to the national office and we are literally, we're traveling around the country uh, encouraging pastors how to do uh, what we did and how to do it in big cities and small towns all across America. And it's just been a fun ride. And I'm, so, I'm just a little new to this, but I'll tell you, I come and walk into encounter and I feel like I'm home. Because I sense and I feel the same attitude and atmosphere that I saw in our church just before everything changed. So I want us to have a conversation today that we're going to talk about who we are as individuals, who do we tend to behave like, maybe who do we need to more behave like, because I want to tell you the miracle's here. And if you're looking for, say, God, would you speak something audacious to me? Because there's something crazy when, it's something exciting when we say yes to something bigger than ourselves. Something invigorating that comes and happens. I want to compare uh, two people that are separated in the Bible by 750 years. I want to compare these two people because their, their reference, you might, if I tell you the Bible story, you're going to go, oh, I know this story, but I want you to hear it from a little bit different angle. But each are given a direction, a ministry, a focus, but their behavior is extremely different from each other. One behaves a certain way, one behaves a very different way. So there's a passage that links these two stories. So grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 12 with me. We're going to start here. And uh, you're going to get this, who we're going to talk about today. And we'll walk through the couple things that maybe we can learn about ourselves. All right, Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous gener generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Everybody say Jonah. Jonah. All right. First, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is prophetically speaking of the moment when he'll go die on the cross for you and I's sins, but then he'll be laid in a tomb and he'll be there for three days. Now, we're obviously going to compare today Jonah versus Jesus. And if I'm honest with you, and if we got really honest with ourselves, we're probably a lot more like Jonah than we are Jesus. And I will tell you, so many times I find myself thinking, behaving like Jonah. But if I can shift out of that Jonah mindset, and I can start maybe behaving a little bit more like Jesus, incredible, miraculous things can happen in our lives. So... 
Let me give you the summary if you don't know the story of Jonah. Jonah's given this directive from God. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. I want you to tell them that they're sinning against me. They're not doing a good thing. That they need to repent. Jonah says, mm-mm. Mm-mm, mm-mm, No. Have you ever, like, done that with God? Mm-mm. Just me. Okay. Pastor, you've got incredible people. They're always saying yes to God. I'm telling you. <laughs> so I, I'm like Jonah. I said, mm-mm. So he goes and books a cruise, all right? Jonah books a cruise. He gets on a boat, and he is going the opposite direction. He gets on this boat. He's going the opposite direction. A storm comes up. All the people in the boat assume there is some God somewhere that is causing this problem, and it's got to be due to somebody on the boat. So they cast lots. They think, oh, it's Jonah. So they throw him overboard. They throw Jonah overboard. He gets swallowed by a whale or a big fish, as it says in the Bible. He's swallowed, and he's in there for three days and three nights, and then he gets puked up on dry ground, all right? All right? Isn't that a fun word, just puked up? <laughs> gets puked up. I mean, just imagine. I mean, he's slightly digested, all right? I mean, maybe the colors left his skin. He's on the beach, and God says, I told you to go to Nineveh. So he reluctantly gets up and follows God's assignment and goes to Nineveh, tells them they're sinning, they need, to, they need to repent, and then he wanders away from the city and he has a conversation with God. That's the Cliff Notes version of what happened. So we're going to pick up here, grab your Bibles, turn now with me to Jonah, and we're going to jump back and forth between the book of Jonah and the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at a comparison between between the behavior of Jonah and the behavior of Jesus. All right, Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid for the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let me, let me just give you some perspective here. That's almost 2,000 miles the opposite direction. Let me maybe give you some background here. At the time of Jonah, due to Israel's progressive rebellion, the prophets Hosea and Amos are contemporaries of Jonah. They declared that God would use Assyria as an instrument of punishment against the people. So this has all been spoken He's not a fan of this region. They're going to be used to discipline Israel. He's not a fan. So any patriotic Israelite would have longed for Assyria's destruction instead of Israel's. Let me put this in some modern context that maybe we can get our mind wrapped around in what he's doing here. Imagine a Jewish man in New York during World War II. He hears God say, I'm going to bring terrible judgment on Germany. I want you to go to Berlin and tell Nazi Germany to repent. But instead of doing it, the man heads for San Francisco and then hops on a boat for Hong Kong. Let me just, that's the perspective here. That's his behavior. God tells him to do this and he's he's doing an about face. He's turning the other way. Jonah runs from his assignment to preach repentance, a turning from a behavior and turning towards God. And he wants nothing to do with Nineveh. Now, if you make your way to Matthew 4, this will also be on your screen too. Jesus knows what is coming 
and he's obedient to follow, Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you're somebody who likes to take notes, here's the very first point I want you to get. Jonah fled God's presence. Jesus was fed on God's presence. Listen, we come into places and situations in our lives often where we get challenged for an assignment from God, but we have an opportunity to either run and flee his presence or be fed on it. And I love the comparison here because I find myself so often like Jonah. And I'm sure none of you can relate, and you're much better Christians than I am. But the reality is, is that when I find myself facing something hard or difficult or something that I don't want to do or something that I disagree with God's asked me to do, a people he's asked me to talk to, a person he's asked me to engage with, maybe I've got some forgiveness issues, but I got to go deal with this person, whatever it is, I tend to want to run from it instead of be fed out of God's presence. We're surrounded by the uncomfortable. We're surrounded by trouble. But it's this presence that makes the difference. It's his presence that softens our heart to say, no, this person matters. It's his presence that softens us and makes the difference and causes us to say, no, that community down the road matters. Alexander McLaren said this, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. It's the presence of God that brings us peace. It, you are going to have trouble. And if anybody told you when you became a Christian that it's unicorns, rainbows, and butterflies, I am so sorry you were lied to. That is not Christianity, and that's not what it is to follow God. It's hard, but it's his presence that puts me into a place of peace when those troubles come. I want to be fed on his presence. I don't want to flee his presence. Listen. Go with me a little further. Jonah 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Remember, he booked, his, he booked his cruise, right? He's going to Hong Kong, all right? He's going the opposite direction, 2,000 miles. Hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. So the captain came and said to them, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know who's on account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and they fell on Jonah. In contrast, in Mark 4, verse 37, we find this a moment with Jesus. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat, verse 37. So the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern. Jesus is in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Here's the second point if you're taking notes. Jonah caused a storm. Jesus calmed a storm. I can walk into a situation and with a lack of wisdom on my tongue, I can create a storm quicker than we can all imagine. Sure. 
But if I want to behave more like Jesus, I can walk into a situation and I can speak wisdom and it can create calm. The, the thing is, is you and I have that same authority when we have a relationship with Jesus. But are we stepping into situations and conversations trying to stir up the storm or are we stepping into situations and trying to calm the storm? Proverbs 15, 18 says, a touchy, hot-tempered man picks a fight, but the calm, patient man knows how to silence strife. How do I calm a storm? Well, Proverbs is full of great stuff. Proverbs 17, 27, can you bridle your tongue when your heart is under pressure? That's how you show that you are wise. An understanding heart keeps you cool, calm, and collected no matter what you're facing. By the way, I'm reading from the Passion Translation, if you wonder what translation that is. And understanding the hearts, our hearts, when it comes to slowing down and praying, what happens when we're in the presence of God is it releases that emotion. It bridles it. But the thing is, is I think that we are living in a day and age, hear me church, please, that I think there's a lot more Christians causing storms than calming them. And there's a lot more Christians that are running from his presence instead of being fed on his presence. And if we as believers who have declared Jesus in our lives, we should be stepping into every room, every situation, and just bringing calm because we've been in his presence. We've bridled our tongue. Listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't hold back and speak what is right. I'm not saying that you should hold back and not speak the truth. But there's no reason to come and pick a fight. So, Jonah's been in the belly of this fish, right? Slowly getting digested. He's puked up on the shore. And we come to chapter 3 of Jonah, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Listen to this part. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Takes three days to cross the city. That's how big it is. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I can almost imagine, right? I want you to get this for a minute. Fine, God, I'll go do what you told me to do. Because I don't want to get swallowed by a whale again. I don't like being digested. It's not very fun. So I'm going to go to Nineveh. But the, the city of Nineveh has 120,000 people in it. And it's three days to walk through the whole city. But what does he do? He just goes a day's way in. Forty days and the city will be overthrown. He's not in it. He could have walked the entire length of the city three days, but he chooses one day. I just want you to catch that for a second. Now, in contrast, I, I, I wish I could reference all these passages, but we'd be sitting here until afternoon and all the way to your party that you're having here at the church tonight, and you'd probably be annoyed with me because you missed lunch, all right? So let me just give you a couple highlights here if we're going to look at Jesus, okay? Keep that in mind, all right, what Jonah's done. He reluctantly goes to the city. He doesn't go through the whole area of the city. He just goes one day in. Now we come to Jesus. Let me just give you a couple, like, highlights, 
He feeds multitudes. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He filled nets with fish. He told Peter to catch a fish with money in it so that they could pay the temple tax. He turns water to wine. He cursed a tree and it withers. He cleansed lepers. He heals the blind. He heals people from a distance. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Oh, that's love right there. He heals the paralyzed man. He heals people when they're touching his clothes. He healed on the Sabbath. He heals the deaf and mute man. He repairs a cut-off ear. He casts out demons. He has, feeds records of multitudes of people. And he raises people from the dead. And then, oh, by the way, he died on a cross and rose three, day to, three days later for you and I. I know your pastor is excited. But hear me. Jesus did all of this. But the coolest thing is that he died for you, and he died for me, and then he rose from the grave so that we won't have to face eternal death. Do you get excited about that? Let's try it one more time. Let's go. Come on. Hold yourselves back. Because you know why this matters? John 21, 25 says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What's the point of all this? If you're taking notes, Jonah did the minimum, but Jesus did the maximum. Jonah did the minimum. And I will tell you, there are days I get up on a rainy Sunday and I go, God, is it okay if I just do the minimum? I know you're not those people because on a rainy Sunday, you got here for first service. Come on. That's a big deal. But listen, I can't tell you how many times I've been like Jonah and I've been in this attitude, in this position where I've just been like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I got to do just to get by God. I'm going to be obedient to you, but I'm going to be like a toddler who was told to sit down, and I'm just going to... That probably looked like I was doing something else. I apologize. (laughs) So often, though, I find myself doing the minimum instead of the maximum. Jesus did all of those things, and not all of them could be written down in a book or because it would fill the entire world with books. But I will tell you, are you a Christian that just does the minimum? What if God told you to go into Nineveh? Would you just go a day or would you go all three? Some days I would say I'd go one. So many times I've been like Jonah with God's will. See, there's a will that God has for you. There is the best option that he's laid before you. And you have a choice. You can determine how far you want to go or how little you want to go. Does it mean you're a good or bad person? No. It's really about where are you in your relationship with Jesus and are you willing to do the minimum or you want to do the maximum? Because I'll tell you, when I lean into doing, seeing what Jesus did, because Jesus said I'd do greater things than he ever did, I'll tell you, I can't even scratch the surface yet on what I read about Jesus doing.
there's this thing that we have called reluctant obedience. And more times than I can count, God's given me an assignment. And I was reluctant. And I didn't give God my best. But I will tell you, if you'll just lean in and say, God, I don't know how, I don't have the abilities, but I know in your presence I'll be fed, and I know that if I can walk into a room when I've been in your presence, I'll calm the storm, and I know that I can do more than the minimum. All right, go a little further. Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did, this is Nineveh, how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Wait, wait, wait a second. This whole city repents. They turn. 120,000 people decide to go, wait a second, we don't want to behave this way anymore because we're afraid of what could happen to us. And instead of him throwing a party, he's throwing a fit. Jonathan Swift, he wrote this expression of what Jonah was feeling from this passage. Let me just read it to you. We are God's chosen few. All others be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. Excuse me? Don't we want one more to find heaven? Don't we want just one more to encounter the love of Jesus? Don't we just want one more to understand that there's an eternity for hope? And yet in contrast, in Luke chapter 23, Jesus having a very honest moment why he's on the cross. And he says in verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here is a generation of people who are killing the Messiah, and he's saying, forgive them, Father. And yet over here we have Jonah who is behaving in such a way, he's going, no, burn them, Father. Such a contrast. And we've told the story of Jonah so many times in kids' church, or if you've grown up in church, you've heard this so many times, but the behavior of Jonah is quite appalling. And the scary thing is, if we're honest, there's probably a lot of Jonas in Christianity today. But I'm telling you, and I just want to bring this message to you today, just to remind you, I don't think Encounter Church is Jonah. I can see what God is doing here, and I will tell you, you don't carry that heart, but we have to work to maintain the heart of Jesus instead of the heart of Jonah, because we naturally want to slide into the heart of Jonah. 
And I just want to challenge you, don't let it slip. Because there are bad seasons I've had in my life where I start finding myself behaving more like Jonah. Second Peter 3, 9. I love this verse. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So you have this contrasting idea of Jonah is angry with God, and then on the other side you have Jesus saying, forgive them, I want everybody to know you, Father. And here's the fourth point I want you to get. To Jonah, sides mattered. But to Jesus, heaven mattered. And in Christianity today, and in our country today, it's all about picking sides. Church, please hear me on this. It's all about picking sides. And you know what? What sets this church apart is we're not busy telling people what we're against. We're busy telling people what we're for. And we're for heaven. We're not for sides. We're for heaven. We're for heaven. We're not for sides. We're for heaven. And if you lean into that, God can do so many things. So, this is the craziest part of this whole story. Jonah leaves the city and he goes out to pout. Anybody ever pouted before? I got one honest person in the house. Come on. Jonah 4, verse 5. I'm gonna, it's a little lengthy, but hear, hear this. Just listen to this part of the story. Jonah went out, to the city and sat out, out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Burn, baby, burn. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? We can pout like that sometimes. But then we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 26, or chapter 26 of Matthew. And going a little further, he fell on his face saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will but yours. So this brings me to my fifth and final point. Jonah wanted to control God. Jesus wanted to submit to God. God, if I do this, you'll do this, right? God, if I do this, then you'll do that, right? 
I can't tell you how many times I've treated God like a vending machine. If I put this in, I'll get this out. Jesus knew he couldn't control, he wanted to submit. And when we can come to a place and not behave like Jonah in wanting to control God, we're really dealing with the inner Pharisee in ourselves. R.T. Kendall put it this way in regards to Jonah in this moment. The most offensive thing about God to the natural man is that he is a God of grace, that God would give a man what he does not deserve. Jonah says, I knew this. He is a gracious God. He is a God of mercy. This means that God may give something that is contrary to justice. God may give you justice. He doesn't have to do it, have to if he does not want to. He can give you mercy. That is God's prerogative. And whenever God gives mercy, it is sovereign mercy. And it is the sovereign alone that has the right to give or withhold mercy. There's something powerful when we come to a place where we say, I choose not to control God based on my behavior. I'm not going to choose to control God. I'm going to choose to submit to him. Now, what does this mean for you as the church, encounter church? See, that we all know this, hopefully, that this building is not the church. You're the church. And the more that we as each individual can say, I'm going to behave more like Jesus than Jonah, the more this church corporately affects this entire region. I want you to know how special you are within our denomination. Pastor, you've got another campus, right? You planted that. There's a heart to do more to reach this region. I want you to know how special you are because only 6% of our denomination is planting or multiplying. 6%. Your church is the tip of the spear. Your church said somewhere in its journey, led by your pastors, said, we choose to have the heart of Jesus instead of a heart of Jonah. We choose to submit to God. We choose to come into a place and calm, not stir it up. We choose. We choose to be more like Jesus than Jonah. Within our country, we have states, and within those states, we have counties. Every county does a census. They take record of where people are and what people do and what people stand for, what they believe. They kind of do this huge assessment. So I did a little research for your county here and the counties that touch your county. I want you to go to this next slide. I want you to look at these numbers for each year of the counties. Maybe you live in one of these counties. You most likely do. These numbers are the individuals within those counties that are labeled unclaimed, meaning they have no religious affiliation. 
They have no connection to a creator God. They have no connection to anyone or any belief system. That's what that number represents. They're unclaimed. They're the Nineveh of your day. Go to the next slide. That's how many people are when you add all those counties together. That's almost the size of Nineveh. Listen, when you lean in as a believer to say, I'm not going to behave like Jonah, I'm going to behave more like Jesus, then you start to look at those numbers and you go, I can do something about it. And I want to do something about it. And I'm not going to sit off on the side and watch them burn. I'm going to step in and I'm going to hope and pray that they experience the power and the love of Jesus. I want them to have an encounter. What if you've been sitting on the sidelines? As an individual, you've been sitting and waiting and wondering, what's the part you play? Maybe you've been sitting and wondering and waiting and going, what if pastor asked me to do one more thing? What does it matter? Now, I'm just going to sit in the back with my arms folded. I'm tell you something right now. The heart of your pastor and the heart of this church is the heart of Jesus. And I will tell you, it's much more fun to behave like Jesus than Jonah. And if you'll just buy in a little bit more, lean in a little bit further, those unclaimed people will have the opportunity to hear that there's a Jesus who said, I want to do the will of the Father. And I'll pay the price for everything that you and I would ever do wrong, that we might have hope, hope for all of eternity. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me. If you're joining us online, I'm going to ask you at your home to bow your head with us. I'm just going to ask for just a little commitment in the depth of your heart right now. I'm going to ask you if you're willing to say, I'm all in. I'm all in for the behavior of Jesus. I may not have it figured out, I'm not sure how to get up every morning to do my devotions. I'm not sure if I'm always going to have the right attitude. But I choose today and every day after, I'm all in. If that's you, I want you to put up your hand right now. Come on, cross this place. Put up your hand. Put up your hand if you're watching online as an act to say, I'm all in. So Father in heaven, I pray for everyone here within the sound of my voice. I pray that you will give them the ability to be all in. I pray that tomorrow when they get up, they say, I'm all in. I'm going to behave more like Jesus than Jonah. And I'm not going to step back and just watch a city potentially burn. I'm going to step in. I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. I'm going to make a difference. So that one more, just one more, can know the Jesus I know. So Father in heaven, I pray that you would powerfully bless this church to continue being the tip of the spear in changing this entire region for the cause of Christ. Lord, help us to deal with that inner Jonah in us that we may be more like Jesus.
Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.